0: I'm just going to read from Acts chapter 3, just something, uh, a very familiar story for many of you who have read the New Testament. It's the story of a crippled beggar being healed in the name of Jesus Christ. I'll just read just a few verses from chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, that would have been three o'clock in the afternoon, the hour of prayer, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms, Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit in the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And now they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We'll leave it, but we'll go back to it. Now there are some subjects when you start to look at them you get a gulp factor because your experience isn't necessarily the same as what you're reading on the pages of the scripture. And we've got a choice. We can either bring the Bible down to the level of our experience, and people do that, or we can say, Lord, I need to take my experience, you need to take my experience by your spirit and lift it up so that it becomes more in line with what I'm reading on the pages of scripture. Now on this subject of healing Jesus is perfect theology and he's the plumb line. If I was to ask you a question those who came to Jesus wanting to be healed how many went away disappointed? Can you say that a bit louder, Martin? No, no one went away disappointed. So if Jesus is our plumb line everyone who came to him was healed and we're told through what Jesus said that the Spirit of God would come and we would do the same things that Jesus did, there's a gap between what we believe and what we've experienced, between belief and behavior. And this isn't a message this morning to try and make us feel, oh dear, we're not seeing healings. I want to just open up this with something of a question session really because I'll give you a quote from one of my favorite films and books The Go-Between, L.P. Hartley. The past is like a foreign land. They did things differently back then and when we read the book of Acts it can look like a foreign land. They did things differently back then. When anyone was prayed for they were healed people were raised from the dead. It's a foreign land. Everyone seemed to be praising God and rejoicing in this city of Jerusalem. They seemed to be getting persecuted, but growing. They seemed to have the influence and favor of men, but at the same time, they were being persecuted by other men who were resisting the kingdom of God. And you look at it and it looks like a foreign land. I don't know whether you've ever done that. You think, wow, this is, this is I need the Holy Spirit to take me into the reality and the pages of these scriptures. And to recognize that what was happening then is happening today in other parts of the world. Liz came and spoke two weeks ago and about having an Eastern mindset rather than a Western mindset. We could get on a plane and fly out to different parts of the world... And the Bible wouldn't seem like a foreign land. It would be, well, we're seeing this all the time. That is hap- it, it, these things are happening. And praise God, they are beginning to happen a little bit more in the continent of Europe. And we want to see that more and more. And we don't want to look at the Scriptures like a foreign country, where they do things differently. We want to actually be, by faith, in that foreign country, walking as citizens and seeing the reality of the wonders, the works, and the wonders of the kingdom of God expressed through us. Now, when we come to this particular chapter, chapter 3, I've given a handout, and some of you will have it on your phones, some of you will have it in writing. It's about my own journey from what theologians call first naivety to second naivety. I won't explain what it is, other than to say, it's not enough to read the Bible and just say, what does the plain meaning of the text say? It looks superficially as if it's this. We have to sometimes dig deeper. Paul says, uh, Peter says of the scriptures that Paul wrote that they can be difficult to understand, 2 Peter 3.16. And sometimes we can, in our instability, rewire the scriptures to say what we want it to say. Let me give you one example. I believe Jesus Christ heals today, utterly convinced that there is no sickness that Jesus doesn't want to drive out of a body that comes to him for healing. I'm also aware through empirical evidence that doesn't happen all the time. I've already said this. I'm not bringing the Bible down to my level of experience. I want my experience to come up to what is the biblical norm. But there's obviously complexities that we have to look at to understand why we're not always seeing what we want to see. And that we don't allow the devil to condemn us, but rather we allow the Holy Spirit to inspire us to make little steps of faith, Into the unknown with the Lord and I'd rather take small dolly steps of obedience because you get further in the long run doing that than just taking a huge leap of faith into the unknown and it's step by step step by step one of the things I struggled with was I've had to put four or five people into the crematorium early at an early age terminal illness Paul Hawkins is one of my best friends at university He died at 43 That wasn't bad enough, actually burying his daughter at 22. And these things shape us. And we are living in a deluded world if we think, well, that doesn't matter. These things shape us. They shape us. But we don't allow it to shape us in such a way that we back off, but rather that we press on and in to the foreign land of the book of Acts, that it becomes not a foreign land, but a real land in terms of hope and healing. So, when you read the book of Acts, I'd encourage you to read the first six books, first of all, first six chapters, rather, and also read the book of James. Why? Because James pastored this church, and he wrote an epistle, and when you read the epistle of James, you think, wow, you pastored this church, but what you're writing about seems to be very down-to-earth, practical, lifestyle stuff. When you read the book of James the pastor of this church he's talking and addressing so many issues one of which is don't boast or brag about the future and you think I wouldn't have thought a church like that would have problems with that. He's addressing things like wisdom that's spiritual but also demonic and you think well oh, I wouldn't have thought a church like that would have that and that is first naivety that needs to be challenged so that we get into what the Bible call, what people call second naivety. God is good But sometimes things don't go the way in which we intended or wanted it to go. I won't say any more on that. It's a handout you can read, and it's my own personal journey on it. What I do want to do is just ask a few questions on this passage. Because one of the ways in which we get into what I've called second naivety, an understanding, a critical faith that doesn't throw your mind away, but actually grapples with things, is you ask questions. When you look at a passage of Scripture, you ask questions. What's the root system behind this? What's the flow of truth moving into this Scripture? What's the flow of truth that comes out? Where does this fit in terms of the overall context and root system of the New Testament or the Old Testament or both? And I'm just asking a few questions on this passage. So if we put the first one up, that'd be great. Uh, What kind of community was the new church in Jerusalem, in these chapters. It was a praying church. It was a church that looked after the poor. It was a church that knew the Word and Spirit together. We'll look at it in a minute. It was a church that saw the things that Jesus said and did being outworked among them. But it was also a church, Acts chapter 5 where a couple called Anas and Sapphira were taken out. I don't know how you'd have felt looking at Anas and Sapphira's bodies when they they dropped down dead. You read the chapter, they lied to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit took them out. And you think, hang on, do I want to be a part of that kind of church? And it's a good question to ask. When we ask for the power of God to fall... We're asking for the Lord's presence, because it's the Lord's presence that brings healing, not formulas. Luke 5, 16, I think it is, the manifestation of the Lord's presence was there to heal the sick. And when the Lord gives his presence, he gives his power, but he also comes in purity. And I, for one, am very thankful that the Lord has held back answering some of the prayers I prayed not because I don't want the power of God and the purity of God, but when we ask for the power of God, we're asking for his presence. He doesn't just suddenly lift a finger and say, you can have some power, but actually nothing else. He comes and gives himself to us. My presence will be with you. Now, he's incredibly gracious. Don't get at all worked up about and Sapphira. There's no and Sapphira here, and I don't think there ever will be. Um, But it's there, and you ask what kind of community was this? and how can we take our experience up to this norm next question what was their prayer narrative in the early church you read the book of Acts superficially you can miss the amazing references to prayer it's so naturally supernatural it's in the text if you read it it's there Acts chapter 1 verse 14 they devoted themselves to prayer Acts chapter 2, in the upper room, they were praying when the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost. Acts chapter 3, walking at 3 o'clock in the afternoon to the place of prayer. Acts chapter 4, the room filled and shaken by the power of God as they prayed. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, we've already talked about that, let's not go on to it. And, that, and, and you go on. Acts chapter 13, it's prayer in the Holy Spirit with fasting that commissions Barnabas and Paul. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul and Paul and Silas, are in prison in Philippi, worshipping and praising God. They have a prison break. Go back four chapters to Acts chapter 12. Peter's freed from prison because there's a prayer meeting going on in Acts chapter 12. It's a praying community. So we shouldn't be surprised if, out of a praying community, the grace of God breaks out in a narrative that is spectacular, of which this healing... See, this guy's healing... It was flowing out of a prayerful community. It wasn't some random, oh yeah, you come up, we'll have a formula, we can t- tap into, you're healed. There was a flow of life in prayer and a flow and narrative of prayer. It was just normal to pray. Fiona's taking the kids out on the playground. Don't worry, she's a qualified teacher. She knows what she's doing. Those of you who have given them to her. And um, if it was me, you might want to pray. <laughs> might even motivate you to pray. But... Um, And she's taken them out to have creative space to pray in creative contexts outside rather than just in four walls. Next one. I've got to really be speedy with these questions. What depth of unity was there? It's another question. I'm giving you an overview. It's in here, it's in the scriptures. The level of unity in this church was inspirational, it wasn't institutional unity. A lot of us get excited about different churches doing things together. But the breath of the Trinity isn't necessarily in all that we do together as churches. John the Baptist said when he comes, Jesus, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When Jesus came, he didn't talk about baptisms of the Spirit and baptisms of fire. He did talk about revelation and building a church. And where the Spirit of God is, you find a church. You can't have a church without the infilling and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can have church without the Spirit, and I would say it's not church. But where the Spirit of God is poured out on human beings, on human flesh, like at Pentecost, it's not long before a church begins to start to grow and emerge, because the Holy Spirit needs a body, not just an individual body, but a corporate body, to express the head of Christ in the world. And so... The level of unity here, the highest level you could get in terms of marriage of word and spirit. This was a level of unity which had the breath of the Trinity on it. And if you went into these prayer meetings, and I've been in prayer meetings where there have been significant levels of unity in the spirit. And so I know people like Liz have. And you think, wow, this is taking my breath away there's a flow of the prophetic, there's inspired reading of scripture. I don't want to leave this place because God is here in the house. I've equally been in meetings where I've thought, as Andy did, I'd like to go home early tonight because I'm not sure whether God's even in this house tonight. Hopefully not in this church and hopefully not in Southampton. Moving on to the next question. How striking was the Lord's presence in this church? Well, we've already made a few examples. I don't need to say too much. This beggar, 40 years, crippled. Now, there's actually a bit more than, in this passage than just simply that. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years before it got out into Canaan and so on, and I think there's a little bit more in that 40-year reference in Acts 4 in relation to the beggar. But... The Lord's presence, he's up on his feet. No slide rule. You could get the doctors and the physicians in. What's happened here is a significant miracle. And it would take your breath away. Now, I long to see those kind of miracles today. I was broken inside, cremating Paul Hawkins. It was not pleasant, standing with... Kevin and his wife, what's his, I can't remember her wife's name, his wife, Aileen, Aileen. She was 44. They were delighted in adopting two children, and she died of cancer. And I don't want anyone to say that was God's will, because it's not. To be delighted about adopting one child here, and then to be taken prematurely through an evil disease. You know the personal battles we've been through with Fiona and myself on these issues. And the reason I say this is because these are the really big ones that we need to see breakthrough in. And we take small steps of faith by praying for things en route. So every back that's healed, every shoulder spasm, everything that has been touched by the grace of God builds in faith so that when you get the big one coming at you, No disrespect to those of you who may have been prayed for with a bit of tennis elbow, but you can live with that until you die. When someone's been given a terminal illness, you need God to turn up. And how striking was the Lord's presence? Well, as you read the Scriptures, you'll see that. And moving on to the next one. Was there a marriage of word and spirit? Yes, there was. Again, if you read the first six chapters, Pentecost, what comes out of Peter's mouth is an exposition from the book of Joel. And as you read through the rest of the scriptures in those first six or seven chapters of Acts, you'll see scripture after scripture being quoted. There's a marriage of word and spirit. Now, when there's a marriage of word and spirit, I don't know when you were, when you were a kid, I used to do this quite often, you get a magnifying glass when the sun was out, and you think, I wonder if this is going to burn my skin. How, how, how macho am I? How, can I? how far can I go without it? Ooh, get out, get off. And at school, you used to have this sort of macho game. You're only about eight or nine or ten. I can, I can last longer than you before it hurts. Uh, well, when you get a word, I'm talking the scriptures, and the Spirit married together with the kind of level of unity that was modeled here in the book of Acts, it is like a manifestation, like that magnifying glass. There is a focus. There is a magnificent breakthrough reality of the Lord's presence. Now, with it comes purity and power together. And I want that. Amen? Amen. I really want to to be up for it, Lord. Now, James chapter 5, I've already talked about the book of James, the pastor of this church. And this isn't with anyone here in mind. Please hear me right. When it talks about call the elders of the church to pray for the sick, in the same narrative... It's confess your sins to one another. The prayer of a righteous man is effective. And there are times, very sadly, when sin may be the root cause behind sickness. It's not the first card you play. I would suggest it's the exception to the rule. But to tip exit out is very foolish. If I'm playing games with my wife, sleeping around, watching hardcore porn living as if marriage can just be ripped up and thrown away it doesn't really care. I can have a second go and I step into a meeting and say I want the power of God to fall on me because I want to be able to do what the disciples did well there's a guy called Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 whose heart was bitter and wasn't right and he asked for the power to do what he saw the disciples doing, the apostles. And Peter looked at him straight and said, Your heart is full of bitterness. Repent of your wickedness. Elamas on the island of Cyprus, Acts chapter 12, I think it is. No, 13. It talks about how this man Elamas blocked the word, of the, God, the word of the Lord coming to the proconsul of Cyprus. And Paul looks at him straight in the eye and says, you are a man of wickedness. You're an obstacle a, to the truth. And he speaks out this word. "Elamas is blinded temporally. Interestingly, what was the first thing that happened to Paul when he was on the road to Damascus? Blinded. He was blinded. He had faith to believe the same thing. Why? Because he knew full well what he'd been doing. And he knew full well what this proconsul was, what this man Elemas was doing. Acts chapter 12. You've got a Herod who thinks he's a god. Who took him out? He dropped down that Who took him out? The angel of the Lord. Now these are, these are interesting. Ooh, this is, this is, don't, get, don't get concerned. But it's there in the narrative of the New Testament. And we can't tip exit out. Moving on to the next, and that's what we get, uh, yeah, move on to the next. Were healings meeting or life-focused? Did this guy get healed in the temple? Did he get healed? Sorry, were Peter and James and John already in the temple when they prayed for this guy? They may well have, you know, part of the geography, it may have been. But healings were part of life, not meetings. It's not just about praying for people in a meeting like this to be prayed for to receive healing or to receive whatever we need to be doing it in our life groups when we're going for walks on a Saturday afternoon if we join the walk group if you have a meal together break bread and pray for one another we can bring these kinds of realities into life not just meetings move on to the next one because we've got to be really quick was this the first time Peter and John saw this man? probably not they've probably seen him several times you'll hear questions like whenever someone's sick the first thing you do is pray for them well it wasn't the first time they saw this guy but it was the moment they chose to intervene and sometimes when we pray for one another and someone's obviously sick they don't necessarily want you to necessarily first and foremost pray for them in their sickness they may want just a listening ear an empathetic ear They may actually be inside thinking, I hope you're not seeing me and identifying me with my sickness. I'm a human being made in the image of God. Not the person who's always being prayed for because they're in a wheelchair or always being prayed for because they're not yet healed of a problem. That doesn't mean to say we don't pray, but it's not always the first thing we do. It wasn't always the first thing Jesus did. How many days was Lazarus in the tomb before he went to see him? Three days. Three, four days, was it? He didn't go straight away. Acts chapter 16, there's a lady, a little fortune teller. And it says, many days she provoked the apostle Paul through speaking out, it was a demonic spirit speaking out the truth. Many days Paul was provoked. And then there came a moment when he said, out in Jesus' name. It wasn't the first thing he did. He, wrote, he waited for the right moment. Moving on. What do we have to give away? Acts 3.6, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. This is why it's so important we have a high level of unity and prayer, and we are catching something of the spirit of God in our lives, in our sails, so that when we are praying for people, we've actually got something of that life in us that we're giving away. And that's why I'd encourage as many of us who can to get there next week with Peter and Kim Carter, because they are carrying something of heaven's fire. And it will be imparted. And when it's imparted, it's like having yourself topped up. Now, we need to keep living in that light and living in that life together as a community, But you can only give away what you've got. So if your theology is, I don't believe God heals, well, I don't want you praying for me if I'm sick. Because what you're going to give me is a theology of unbelief. But equally, you might say, I do believe God heals, but in practice, you never pray for the sick. And it's how we practice what we believe that really authenticates what we really believe. We can have data belief systems that believe that God heals, but it's actually what you do in practice that authenticates what you really, really believe. Next one. Sustainable lifestyle match of the day highlights. When you read the book of Acts, it's tempting to think that these apostles, all they ever did was be healed, receive the gift of prophecy, be healed, be healed, come out Satan, blah, 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 all of that. It's tempting to read it like that. To think that James and John and other disciples, they never had wives, they never had to work, they never had to eat, drink, shower, they never had to brush their teeth, they never had to clean the dog mess up, etc, etc. It's tempting to think like that, that these were super saints that never lived in life. And there are, sadly, Christians who think that we can live like super saints and somehow be totally immune from the pressures and realities of life. And for some people who are into healing ministries, I think you need to get into life first, because all you ever talk about and all you ever want to do is pray for the sick. That's not a sustainable rhythm of life. It isn't. You need to have rhythms of life that are sustainable. Holidays, rest, family times, reading a good book, watching a decent film, enjoying a decent food time with you know, that, the cuisine one sounds good if you're on a diet don't go <laughs> if you don't care about diet go and enjoy it but and the book of Acts Luke's put these things together over a 35 year period they're match of the day highlights I used to go and watch football regularly at Villa Park there was one game well more than one game there where you go and watch it, and it would actually be on the television that night, and you think, well, I wonder if the highlights match up to what I saw. And there are times when you can see a match of the day highlight and think, wow, that looks as if it was a brilliant game. But actually, for 85 minutes, it was really boring. It's just that there was five minutes when two or three goals were scored that were really spectacular, and it's a highlight. And these are spectacular healings, But they're highlights. We move on to the next question. I I, I would like these highlights. Don't get me wrong, I want them. Is medicine in competition with prayer? No, it's not. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Did they have doctors in the days of Acts? Well, Luke was a doctor. What's wrong with taking a... You know, if you're ill, and I say to you, well, if you take this pill, it'll go. I've got no problem with taking that pill. Fiona is at the moment on a course of prayer and pills. There is nothing wrong with medicine. The real issue, sometimes, and I put this in the handout, is that we fear dying. And we don't really want to go to the doctors because we don't want to know what they might say. There's no competition between prayer and pills, medicine and prayer. Next one. Did they have any long term sick in the early church? I can't give you the quotes and the books to read, but I can assure you they did. Because one of the things that really witnessed to the people in Jerusalem and beyond about the early church was how the church looked after the poor and the long term sick. They didn't all get healed. Yeah, that was one, but not all of them got healed. Now, some of us think, oh, hang on, that doesn't seem to match up. Well, they didn't all get healed. And that has to be part of our minefield as we go from what I've called first naivety to second naivety. Paul Hawkins didn't get healed. Was it because we didn't have faith? No. Was it because Jesus didn't want to heal? No. So why didn't he get healed? Well, there's a saying in the Jewish Talmud that says, if I don't know the answer to the question, train me not to try and give an answer. And sometimes staying silent is the best thing you can do if you haven't got a better answer than you need more faith or, oh, God didn't want to heal. The Lord always wants to heal. His name is Healer. And when you've got a terminal illness... You're going to have more than a small measure of faith to be healed. Trust me. Suddenly your faith level shoot up because the stakes are too high. But it's a naive faith that says it's one of those two reasons why someone's not healed. That is total crackers. It's naive. There are many other reasons why someone may not be healed other than those two bookends. But it doesn't stop us going for it.